0: backyard, and then we had 59 acres of field behind us, and our neighbor had uh, a vineyard. It wasn't really a vineyard, but he had these grapevines, and he would he loved them. He'd take care of them, and it wasn't a full vineyard, but it was almost a vineyard, and uh, I remember that as we would uh, be playing sports, or each, each season we'd played something else, football or baseball, or sometimes we played basketball uh, on, on our driveway, and but the, our house was kind of like the gathering point. There were seven of, seven of my brothers and sisters, and the whole neighborhood used to show up at our somehow in our yard, and we'd play all these games together. But we also remember going over to the vineyard next door and eating the grapes. And we would eat grapes until our stomachs hurt. We would eat grapes so much that, you know, and, and, and if he was having a good harvest, uh, not only did we get sick, but our neighbors, all, all of our friends did too. And uh, for some reason, the owner of these grapevines vines let us gorge ourselves on grapes as much as we wanted. So we'd pick pails of them, I mean, buckets of them. And uh, when they were ripe, and we'd have grape juice, grape jelly, grape uh, pies, grape brownies, grape grape, grape filets. I mean, we anything you could have grapes with, we'd eat grapes. I mean, it was it, during that time of year. and. Uh, We included grapes in everything. I mean, it just was amazing. And uh, they became the condiments, or they became the main course, depending on how big the harvest was. But over time, our neighbor became ill. He got sick. And he was no longer able to take care of his vineyard. And uh, the vines became overgrown, and every year the grapes got smaller and fewer. And uh, each year there was a significant drop in quality and quantity of grapes, until eventually what we used to call grape cadavers were there, which are raisins. Just a few little things would grow on those trees, but they were never grapes anymore, they were just like dried up raisins. Now, in contrast to our neighbor's negligent vineyard, the largest grapevine in the world is over 240 years old. It's located in England, it's called the Great Vine, G-R-E-A-T, the Great Vine. You can look it up on the internet, very interesting. But the Great Vine is now 250 years old. It is the largest grapevine in the world. In 1887, it was already 1.2 meters, that is four feet, around the base. It is now four meters around its base, 13 feet around its base, and its longest rod is 36.5 meters, or 120 feet. One vine, one, what they call the vine. If you see these vines, they're gnarly things, they're ugly things. And then they graft into the vine, the roots, they graft in all the vines and the branches, and that's where they get the grapes from. Well, this vine grows in a greenhouse where a man and his wife... Who serve as the vine keepers, have the responsibility of caring for this magnificent plant. This competent and caring couple do everything they do that they can do to keep this vine alive, so that it'll produce fruit. And amazingly, this grapevine produces between 500 and 800 bunches of grapes every year. one grapevine. Go look it up, the great vine. Look it up. It's the largest grapevine in the world, oldest, still producing. Please turn in your Bibles with me. I'd like you to look at, does everybody have a real Bible today? More than ever, we need our real Bibles. More than ever, we need to start looking into the Word of God. So turn with me today, John chapter 15, and I want to read out of verses 1 through 15. I want you to follow along as I read. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. And we're going to stay here for most of the service. We'll be coming back to this, uh, this, this chapter in the Bible. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, and the branch at the beginning of the service and said that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So in the context, before we see the 15th chapter, the 14th chapter is talking about Jesus being the way, the way, the truth, the life. The focus in the 14th chapter is on salvation. There is no salvation by any other than Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, there's no way to go to heaven. There's no way for eternal life except through Jesus Christ. There is no other, by no other name can a man be saved than Jesus Christ. But that's another message for another day. Today, I wanna look not at salvation, but I wanna look at sanctification. Sanctification is the process of God working in you and I after our salvation. It's one thing to come to the faith. It's one thing to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ it's entirely something else to be fruitful. This morning we're gonna be challenged to be fruitful. We're moving from knowing Christ to growing in Christ. This is missions month. The month of March we set aside as missions month. Missions month is simply that we move from thinking about ourselves, thinking about our own needs to helping others. In other words, we think about bearing fruit, being fruitful in the life of someone else, being Christ-like to someone else. I want to just say this off the bat. In this season where there is so much fear, there are so many people that are fearful. I came through the border (laughs) on Friday night. (laughs) I I was shocked. Masks and spray guns and, and, and and. Things to put on your hands and forms to fill out and, and coronavirus everywhere. I'm thinking, how many people have coronavirus in Zimbabwe? None? Oh, yeah, but you might have it. I said, I might. I said, but right now I feel pretty good. I said, I'll self-quarantine if I feel bad. No, 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 fill this form out, do this. I, I mean, it, they put me under a, a microscope. I, I, and, 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 I, and, I, and I said, and I just started saying, hey, why are you so fearful? You see, the last thing I fear is coronavirus. I'm not fearful. And if for some reason that plague were to come nigh me, I will overcome it. In the name of Jesus. But I know this, that if you put yourself in a position of fear, already the devil has a foothold in you. Amen? So, With this much fear, with this much panic, and, and, you know, when you don't have faith, all you have is panic. All you have is fear. All you can do is what you can do. You forget that there's a God who can take care of you. So with this much panic and fear, how many people out there that you're touching every day need a word of encouragement, need to be brought into the kingdom, need to be brought into the church, need to be brought into a household of faith? You become... God's hand extended. Right now, Jesus needs to touch people. I find it easy to minister to people. When there's that much fear, oh, it's easy to minister to them because you're full of faith. Amen? Amen? Tap your neighbor and say, I think his preaching's better than your amening this morning, okay? So here's our big idea today. Here's the big idea. If we are faithful, God will make us fruitful. If we're faithful, God will make us fruitful. Last week, Pastor Lincoln gave an amazing message about Mephibosheth. And, 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 and I, I, what I love about all of our pastors, while I was away, is that they spoke truth to you. In our church, we're going to not compromise the truth. We're going to speak the truth. And let me tell you something. It's sometimes hard to preach truth in a world that is preaching compromise, that is accepting anything. But when we choose to preach the truth... There can be no watering down what Jesus said. If we believe the Bible, we must believe that Jesus is the only way. The only way. There are not many roads to heaven. There are not many roads to God. There's one road, one way. Narrow is the path that leads to salvation, and few there be that find it. Wide is the path that leads to death, and many there be that find that path. I want us to find the path of life. See, when Jesus says that he is, that he is the vine, he's the way, he's the truth and the life, and in verse, chapter 15 he says he is the vine, what he's talking about is he's employing an image that is familiar to his followers. Now, if you know what the vine is, the vine is not the branch. The vine is the root, the root of Jesse, this ugly, gnarly vine, but it's, what everything else is grafted into to produce what's in the vine. So Jesus often used the elements of nature to illustrate his teachings. Water, seeds, soil, wheat, fig trees, vineyards, flowers, birds. You, throughout the Bibles, you see that he's constantly referring to these things because that's how he taught. He taught in parables. He, he led people by what they could understand. Grapes. We're common everywhere, and we're always central to Israel's agriculture and economy. In fact, the grapevine was the emblem of the state of Israel, still is today, just like the bald eagle is the emblem of the state of, of the United States of America. And, you know, here we have a state bird. Anybody know what the state bird is? Do you know what our na- national bird is? What is it? The secretary bird. Did you know that it was the secretary bird? That's your national bird. I know you've replaced it with your idols, the Zimbabwe bird. That's the idol that we've established in our nation that we worship. But, Zimb- but every nation has something that represents it in the natural. State flower, state, what's our, what's our state, what's our national flower? Lily. you knew that, didn't you? So Jesus knew that about Israel, and the grape represented Israel. Grapes appeared on their coins during the period between Malachi and Matthew. At the time of Jesus, there was a golden vine that hung over the entrance to the temple with clusters of grapes on it to give the idea of fruitfulness and who Israel was. In our culture... If it was here in Zimbabwe, it would be as if Jesus would walk through a field of maize or a field of soybeans, which is the agricultural breadbasket of our nation. It's It's the foundation of our nation. And he would draw life lessons from them. He would begin to speak about them. But the image of the vine and its fruit has a far deeper spiritual symbolism. The grapevine represents Israel's fruitfulness in doing God's work on the earth. Psalm 80 which is in line with our year, 5780. The 80th Psalm is a very important psalm to us. And it says in Psalm 80, verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. He's talking about Israel. He says you brought this vine, you brought a people out of Egypt that were in bondage, that were broken, and you planted them. You drove out the nations in front of them, and you planted this vine. He's talking about Israel. I think it's a very, very important idea. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the people of Israel, his people, neglected to keep the vine nourished. And as a result, they ended up going wild and losing their fruit. See, in Psalm 80, verses 12 through 13, it says this, why then have you broken down its walls, the walls of the vineyard, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit, and the boar from the forest ravages it. This is the picture of Israel broken down. This is the picture of many Christians' lives. Once planted, once fruitful, once alive in Christ, allowed the Vineyard walls to be broken down, allowed the boars, allowed the world to come back in and ravage them. No longer producing fruit, but raisins. The title of my message is Divine, but my subtitle is God's Grape Expectations. All right, I thought it would be cute anyway, all right? But God has had grape expectations. God has always had grape expectations for his followers. God is so sold on fruitfulness that he breaks out into a sad, sad song in Isaiah. Listen to what he says. Instead of producing sweet grapes, his people had offered only sour substitutes. He says this in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 4. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Whew. His lament continues in another refrain. Jeremiah 2 verse 21, listen to what he said. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? He's talking about this people he loves, Israel. How have you, that I took such care over, I delivered you, I walked you, I protected you, I've done all these things for you. How did you become degenerate? How did you become a wild vine? Isn't that the story of so many of us? Once cleansed, once purified, once taken, once delivered, and all of a sudden allowing the vineyard, the wall to be broken down. And How have you become degenerate? How have you become a wild vine? God's people had become like zombie grapevines, Sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? Actually, it was horrible. They were filled with hypocrisy. They were filled with greed. All kinds of evil instead of the fruits of righteousness, justice, and mercy. God's desire has always been for his people to be fruitful. Fruitful. This goes all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 28, where he said, Be fruitful and increase in number, or The King James says, be fruitful and multiply. That's God's desire. It's always been his desire for you and I that we're fruitful and that we multiply. In fact, a Christian, a believer who does not produce fruit is a contradiction of terms. According to John 15, verse 16, he says that we have been chosen to bear fruit that will remain or that will last We're chosen to bear fruit that will remain like a tree planted by the water. We're never supposed to run dry. We're never supposed to stop bearing fruit. It's time for us to move more than just survive. It's time for us to thrive. Pastor Taz, you said it so adequately this morning. You said that we don't just stay stuck in Zimbabwe. Even though it's costly, we afford to go out and see because this two will turn. This too, the tide will turn. And those of us that prepare ourselves will be ready for what God wants to do. Amen. God is giving us vision. God is giving us purpose. And we're not done yet. In fact, we're just starting what God wants us to do as a church and as a nation. In an unforgettable display of God's expectations of fruit for us, Matthew chapter 21 verse 19 tells us that one day Jesus went on a walk. And it says that seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went, and they went to it and he found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. See, if you come to Israel with us and we're going in June. So say, oh, what about coronavirus? It'll all be over by then. I promise you it's all going to be over by then. This is a storm in a teapot. We're going to go to Israel. And in the time of figs, the leaves come before the fig. They come at the same time. So if there's leaves, there's figs. Actually, the fig comes and the leaves come to cover the figs to protect them from the animals, from the birds of the air. So when you see a fig tree that's full of leaves, there should be figs. When Jesus went to the fig tree that was full of leaves and there were no figs, It was a picture of Israel that had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. It was a form of Israel that had a a look that they were holy, but on reality they were defiled. They were fruitless. Israel looked fruitful, but they were not bearing fruit. That's what he was talking about. It's unacceptable, it's unnatural for a follower of Christ to be unfruitful. So, let me set the context for my message today and for today's text. What many believers refer to as Palm Sunday marks Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We see... This is, this is what's just happened in, in John chapter 12. They took palm branches in verses 12, chapter 12, verse 13. It says, They took palm branches. They went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So here's the context. Chapter 12, they're worshiping him, they're bowing down. I mean, these people are thinking, Oh, this is the son of God. You're going to find out in chapter 16 or 17, 18, they're, they're the same people one week later saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. That's how fickle people are. That's how fickle you and I are. One day, oh, God, we love you so much. The next day, oh, God, where are you? I don't know why you don't take care of me. Now, wait a minute. Is he Lord or is he laughable? Come on. So in the, the middle of the, in all the excitement, Jesus has his disciples that he drops this bombshell on them. And he tells them that he's going to die. He then gathers his disciples together in a quiet place in an upper room for the Last Supper. Lamb is served for the Passover meal because he is the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sin of the world. Bread is broken because he is the bread of life. The cup is given because he is the fruit of the vine. And it's consumed because he is the true vine. Then he provides comfort to the distraught disciples who are clueless of what's gonna happen, but he's telling them plainly. And in John 14, 1, he says, "'Let not your hearts be troubled. "'Believe in God, believe also in me.'" Boy, he's calling himself God. He says, if you believe in God, you can believe in me. He goes on in that same verse, he says, "'I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life.'" Nobody can be saved except through me. He says, believe in God, believe in me. He's setting the foundation. Later in this chapter, he promises us that his Holy Spirit would come to them and be their great encourager, their teacher, their comforter. And then at the very end of the chapter, in verse 14, he says, arise, or they said, rise, let us go from here. Arise, let us go from here. I I want you to know something. God never leaves you in trouble. He's always got you going somewhere. Come on, let's get up and let's go. There, there, to bear fruit, you can't stay where you are. You've got to go somewhere. Now, you have to understand, as he arose to go during this time of year, at this time, there would have been a full moon. And as they're walking to the garden at Gethsemane, this moon would have been casting light on a variety of the vineyards on the lower slopes of the hill as they're walking towards Gethsemane. And this would have been a very prolific vineyard. And when you come with us, you'll see where he walked from, what he would have walked through to get to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is an olive garden, by the way. But he would have had to go through vineyards at the time. And it's likely that Jesus, at this time, this is when he told this story, he stopped, held up a vine, filled with the blossoms of a promising harvest, and he said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, I'll tell you what, this is a remarkable revelation and quite a contrast to the scene that we just saw in Palm Sunday of all the palm branches in the midst of a noisy crowd. Here he is leaving quietly on a quiet night, walking down alone with his disciples after he's just given them the worst news that he could possibly hear. And he's talking about, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. So let's talk about the characters in this vineyard, because there are three main characters here in this allegory, this extended story that he's telling. First of all, Jesus is the true vine, number one. He is the true vine. That word vine literally means the root or the trunk. It's the part that comes up out of the ground, and I promise you it's never much to look at. There's a great movie, I think I've referred to it many times from the pulpit, it's called A Walk in the Clouds. And uh, I recommend that you, if you need a chick flick, you watch that. (laughs) There's a great story in it, and I love it because it talks about protecting the root, protecting the vine. Let me tell you something, if you protect the vine, if you protect who the vine is in your life, you'll be okay. If you stay grafted into him. Anyway... This is a fulfillment, uh, it's the part uh, uh, of Isaiah 53 verse 2, it says, in Isaiah 53 verse 2 it says, for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. So when you see these gnarly pieces of fruit, they're the root out of dry ground, you think, that, can anything good come out of that? And yet, that's what we get grafted into. They're not very comely, but they produce great fruit. So, in contrast, however, to faithfulness and fruitfulness, or faithless, I should say, in contrast to faithless and fruitless Israel, Jesus is the fulfillment of what they were not. So in the midst of a faithless and fruitless Israel, Jesus is the root. He is the vine. I think we could have said it this way. I think a better translation would have been, I myself am the vine, the real one. That word true means genuine, real. This claim by Jesus is his manifestation as the Messiah. He is the Messiah. There is nobody else. He says, I am the true. There's none other besides me. Earlier he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now he says, I am the true vine. There is no other vine that you can be grafted into. The second character in this story is the father. The father is the farmer or the vine dresser. He's literally the one who tills. That's what it means, the one who tills, the one who cares. The gardener's primary task is to grow grapes. In other words, in order for that to happen, the ground must be cultivated, The fertilized, it must be fertilized, the pests must be controlled, weeds must be pulled out, the roots have to receive water, the vines must be cared for, the grapes must be clean. pruning must take place. A vine needs a gardener in order to produce grapes. Can God be a gardener in your vine? Can the Holy Spirit, will you allow him to be the gardener of your vine? The vineyard is planted for a different purpose than a flower garden is. We plant flowers because they're pretty. A vineyard is planted to get grapes. Its goal is not flowers, but fruit. Number three, the third part of the story is we are the branches, you and I. We are the branches. Now, our job is simple. If we are faithful, God will make us Fruitful. Everybody say that. If we're faithful, God will make us what will He make us? Fruitful. So say it again. If we are faithful, God will make us fruitful. So the only way for that to happen is if you and I stay tenaciously and faithfully connected to the foundation that is the trunk, the root. Jesus Christ. Are you ready to buckle up? Let me close out here. Let's just take a little walk in the vineyard. I see four levels of fruit bearing in our passage that are demonstrated with these four baskets that I have up here. Basket number one does not bear fruit. No fruit. Basket number two Little fruit, meager fruit. Basket number three, more fruit. And finally, basket number four, much fruit, much fruit. I read an author the other day and he believes that only 50% of Christians bear little fruit And he says he doesn't think more than about 5% bear a lot of fruit. Others teach the Pareto principle, 20-80 principle: 80% do very little and 20% carry the weight of everything. Whatever the principle is, the question isn't about how little fruit, it's how much fruit are we bearing. Are you bearing fruit? Here's the principle God, our Father, the vine dresser, the gardener, He loves us so much and He is so committed to displaying His glory that He actively works on our lives. He cultivates our lives so that we move from no fruit to meager fruit to more fruit. To much fruit. I want you to ask yourself, which basket represents your life right now? If today were harvest day, how many grapes would be in your basket? Well, here's the good news. More is always possible because you were created for this very purpose. According to Matthew 7, verse 20, fruit bearing is a sign of spiritual life. He says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Wow. If you're alive in Christ, you are going to bear fruit. You're going to bear at least fruit. If you abide in him, he says you'll bear more fruit. And if you allow him to prune you and trim you, you'll bear much fruit. Let's look at those four fruit baskets. First of all, let's look at this basket with no fruit. No fruit. John 15, two. Has been the cause of a lot of confusion because it seems like it's saying that a Christian can lose their salvation. It says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Verse 6 goes on and says if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and they're burned. Well, let me say this real clearly to you. If you're truly saved then you're totally secure. Eternal life is eternal John 10, verses 28 and 29 says this, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You see, you have to understand that this verse only makes sense in the context of the scriptures that we're reading. And the context comes just hours before. Jesus announced that there was a traitor on his team. Jesus is to say, wait a minute. He says, in John 13, 10, he says, and you are all clean, but not all. He says, you're clean, but not all of you. And he's referring to Judas. Judas was not clean. A couple of chapters later in John 17, Jesus said this, not one of them has been lost except the son of perdition, the son of deception. Judas had no fruit because he had no faith. Jesus had no fruit or Judas had no fruit because he had not connected to Christ. He had only connected for something of his own selfish selfish gain. His god, his real god was greed. He was stealing from the money the treasury. As a result, he was cut off and he was thrown into the fire. John the Baptist when he was on the earth shook up all the religious leaders by saying this in Matthew 3.10. He says, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the religious elders of the day. He was talking to the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, who looked fruitful, who looked as though they were holy, who looked as though they were righteous. He says, But you're whited sepulchers, white on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. He says, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy. Come on. He says, you're fake, you're false, you're bearing no fruit. Hey, John the Baptist was a tough guy, amen? It's, it's, it's kind of similar to what we read in Romans chapter 11, where Israel is pictured as an olive tree. and It says that some of the branches are broken off because of their unbelief. But in their places, the Gentiles are grafted in. You and I, we get grafted in because Israel was broken off because of their unbelief. You and I got grafted into Christ. We're grafted into the vine. We're grafted into the root. This is shocking to many Jewish people because they think they're so good. And they're good to go because of what their faith is. We're We're the children of God. We're the sons of God. We're God's chosen people. But if they don't confess Christ, they'll be cut off just like anybody else. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus the Christ. Listen, there's some of you that come here, you're holding on to your church background. Even though you might not have had a Christian belief, you may not have believed in Christ, somehow you believe that you could be connected to your church, and that saves you. But how many of you know you can be connected to a church and not be converted? And just because you come to celebration doesn't mean you're saved. No church can save you. No church died on a cross for you. It's Jesus and grafted into Christ, and that's all that matters. We have have whole movements today, whole movements in our nation. Join the church. I say don't join the church. I said be a part of the church. The church is... Every joint supplying, it's you and I together. But be joined to Christ. Amen. Your life is not the church, the church is the expression of your life. Does that make sense? I talked to some who assured me very quickly that they've been Baptist or Catholic or some other traditional religion all their life but there doesn't appear to be much fruit. Let me say it this way. If you don't have any fruit, if your basket's empty, it might be because you don't have saving, it might be because you don't have saving faith. You may think you're a Christian, but you're not following Christ. Because a true Christian will bear fruit. Let's focus on the other three baskets for just a minute, and I'll close. How do we grow from no fruit to meager or little fruit to more fruit to much fruit? Well, if we're faithful, God will make us fruitful. There's three ways to grow more fruit according to this passage. Number one, prepare for pruning. Prepare for pruning. The last part of John 15, verse 2 says Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. More fruit. Pruning is done so that those who bear a meager amount of fruit will bear more fruit. You see, in a vine, just like in a rose garden, there are what are called sucker shoots. Even on some trees, fruit trees, sucker shoots. And they have to be cut off. They have to be sliced off because they can end up sucking the life out of the vine. Causing grapes not to grow. I'm told that most new grape growers fail because they don't prune enough. Good pruning creates a strong root system, improves the health of the vine, and most importantly, it's what increases the yield. I watched a video this week about a vineyard in California that covers 30 acres, and I learned that it takes 500 man hours to prune 13,000 vines. The wife of the gardener of the grapevine in England spends three months a year just scraping the branches with a knife just in order to remove the loose flakes of bark. She does this because grapevines have numerous parasites, and they have to be scraped to keep the parasites, the demons, off of them. Pruning must take place in order for grapes to grow. Dead wood must be ruthlessly removed, and live wood must be cut back drastically. I saw this in one of our congregation members' rose garden the other day. Her bushes, I went and I'd been there before and these were beautiful rose bushes. I went back the other day and they were cut back. They looked like oh my God, what happened? They were like little stumps. The, 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 The rose bushes had been trimmed back so much I thought did something happen here? She told me that the sucker branches were getting out of control. You see you and I have been reborn in order to reproduce. But the only way for that to happen is through a painful purging process. God has to keep pruning your sucker branches back so you produce according to the vine you're grafted into. The famous author, Bruce Wilkerson, Bruce Wilkerson write, describes what happened when he moved to the country one spring. It says the fence that he shared with his neighbor had a large grapevine on it. And he and his family were looking forward to enjoying some juicy grapes that fall. A couple of days after, later, he noticed his neighbor was hacking away at the vine with some large shears. So he went outside and asked, I guess you don't like grapes. The neighbor replied that he loves grapes. Seeing the confusion on Bruce's face, the gardener explained, well, son... We can either grow ourselves a lot of beautiful leaves, filling up the whole fence line, or we can have the biggest, juiciest, sweetest grapes you have ever seen. But we can't have both. Let's just go back to the purpose of the vineyard. The purpose of a vineyard, the goal, is grapes, not lush leaves. Not creative colors, not beautiful flowers. It's fruit. Everything else must be sacrificed for the sake of the harvest. Are you being pruned right now? I think we all are. But if you are, think about this. God never prunes indiscriminately. He knows what he's doing because he's always following a precise plan for our lives. Since he's working to make us more like Christ, he only removes what's necessary and what avoids unnecessary injury. But if you're being pruned back, if it's hurting you, it's because he's trying to form Christ in you and remove that which is injurious to yourself. Pruning involves pain. The father's pruning knife is sharp. But it's not designed to ultimately damage or destroy us. But he does use all kinds of unpleasant things to prune us. Circumstances, failures, ruptured relationships, even illnesses, trials, in order to get us to bear more fruit. One of America's presidents said, never waste. What was it? Never waste a... Crisis. Never waste a crisis. Well, God never wastes a crisis in your life. He'll work all things together for your good. He will prune you. He'll make sure that He gets something out of you. Now, let me say this too. Think about this. Pruning can last for a long time. The pruning process doesn't continue for a day, it doesn't continue for a week, not even a year. We can't really say, well, I've been through that and I'm glad there's no more pain coming my way because that's not how it works. In fact, The longer a grapevine is alive, the more pruning it needs. See, some of us who are older in our faith may need more pruning than we think we do. Some of you got so old in the faith, you said, Well, I've gone as far as I'm going to go. And you stopped growing and you stopped bearing fruit because you stopped letting God prune you. Is God pruning you right now? If so, Remember, it's not ultimately for your pain, but for your gain and for his glory. David realized this when he wrote Psalm 119. I love this psalm. Psalm 119, verses 67 and 71, he says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I I obey your word. Verse 71 says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Let me tell you something. If you're being afflicted, if you're going through something right now, it may just be the pruning knife of God to get you to become like Christ. Do you want to be more fruitful than you are right now? The only way for that to happen is to go under the knife. Number two, deal with discipline. First of all, prepare for pruning. Deal with discipline. John 15, 3, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. See, in the natural course of time, a branch will grow rapidly, but it'll not necessarily, it won't necessarily grow where it's supposed to grow. These branches have a tendency, when they grow quickly, they don't follow the path of the fence. They fall down onto the ground, and the rains come, and they get muddy, and they begin to become mildewed, and they, and they no longer can produce. In fact, all branches left to themselves head to the ground. But a gentle gardener, he'll pick up the branch, wash it off, tenderly tuck its tendrils back into the trellis where it can do what it was created to do, bear fruit. Are you playing around, my friend, in the blood and the mud of sin? Can you allow the heavenly gardener to clean you off, to pick you up? You see, sometimes he sends discipline our way in order to get our attention. These painful measures are designed to bring us to repentance, to bring us back to the business of bearing fruit. I heard one man say it this way. He referred to it as the best good news you didn't wanna hear. How many of you ever had the best good news you didn't wanna hear? Maybe tap your neighbor and say, that's what I'm hearing today. Our pastor is giving me the best good news that I really don't want to hear. You see, you need to learn how to deal with the discipline that God may be sending your way. And remember that the gardener, the vine dresser, corrects in order to redirect. He corrects in order to redirect. Hebrews 12 and verse 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But latter, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, this this gardener, our Heavenly Father, has plans for you, and His actions are intended to move you towards the place that He wants you to be, the place of fruitfulness. Sometimes He disturbs our slumber so He can shock us into growth. He also uses the Bible to get our attention. Hebrews 4, verse 12, the New Living Translation says, For the word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. John 15, 3, he says he uses the word to cleanse us. He says you're clean through the word that I've spoken to you. God is scraping your branches. God is trimming your vine through the word of God. That's why we stay in the word. That's why we abide in his word. Somebody might be wondering, what's the difference between discipline and pruning? Well, let's put it this way. They both hurt, and they're both for our good. But discipline primarily comes as a result of sin, whereas pruning deals with the problems of ourself. Selfishness, weakness, things that are inside of us. Let me just say this. You don't have to stay where you are right now. You can fast forward to fruitfulness, but you have to run to Him, not away from Him. You know, I know when I deal with Christians, a lot of times we get hurt in this life. Other Christians hurt us, the world hurts us, and we have a tendency to lose heart. Sometimes we turn away from God. It's just, I don't know, this, this Christian life's not working for me. Or we turn against him. We get angry at him. God, if you were really God. Can I tell you something? I know the truth is this. Never turn away from him. Never turn against him. Always turn towards him. Turn towards him. He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. God's discipline is always intended to be redemptive. It's always restorative. He's more interested in propelling you toward fruitfulness than he is in punishing you. God's not into punishing people. Is there a meager amount of fruit in your basket? Don't spend a minute longer languishing in the muck and the mire of sin. You're not stuck. You're not stuck like there's no way out. Allow him to lift you up. If we're faithful, he'll make us fruitful. I love this prayer found in Psalm 80. I've preached it a few times here already. But in verses 14, 18, and 19, it says, Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. Have regard for this vine. He's talking about himself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. My last point, let me close with this. Number three. Resolutely remain in Christ. When we come to John 15, verses 4 and 5, there's a commandment in this passage. It's a command. He says, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You see, if you want your baskets to be full of fruit, you have to actively abide in the vine. So today, this is a call to vigilance. We have to stay closely connected to Christ at all times. The word abide means to stay. It means to dwell or to remain, to settle in for a long term, to hold on to. Jesus is saying something like this. Live in such a manner that if you are at home in me and I am at home in you, you'll bear much fruit. The word abide is used 11 times in John 15. It's used 40 times in the Gospel of John. Abide. Abide in Christ. Be hidden in Christ. John fifteen eight. He says, look at this. John 15, I love this. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This isn't a suggestion. It's an imperative. When we settle in our Savior, when we bind our heart to Him, and we plug in, we're going to demonstrate abundant fruitfulness. And we're going to bring glory to God. But if we don't fellowship in Christ, our baskets will be barren. We're going to bomb out spiritually. I watch many Christians bombing out spiritually. Apart from Christ, apart from Christ, you cannot grow fruit that remains. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, and I'll close with this verse. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. You know, I was curious when I was putting this message together to see if there are any grapevines still growing in my old neighbor's backyard. I know the woman who lives in the house we grew up in. So I asked her to send a picture of how things look 40 years later. What do you think I found? Nothing. Zero. There's not even a vineyard anymore. There's not even a vine. No trace of any grapes. No grapevines. Not even any cadavers. Not even any raisins. The vineyard's gone. It wasn't cared for. That vineyard I gorged on as a kid is gone. If you have the courage to take a look at your life and you can't find any fruit, you need to figure out why that is. Perhaps you're not saved. Or maybe you need to repent of some sin in your life. The Christian life a supernatural life. It's not a natural life. None of us can live it apart from a dogged dependence on Christ and Christ alone. We can do nothing apart from Him, the Bible says. All of our attempts to produce Christian character will be fruitless and frustrating unless we develop a close relationship and cultivate An abiding relationship with Christ, the vine. Have you been drifting? Drifting spiritually? Are you neglecting spiritual disciplines? See, a branch disengaged from the vine will dry up. It'll decay. I think it's time to strengthen your attachment to the vine. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Here's the encouraging thing. Hold on. Last close. How many of you know it's not our job to produce fruit, but to bear fruit? Ours is to bear fruit, not produce it. Faithfulness is our obligation. Fruitfulness is God's concern. It's not a matter of me trying to get some fruit to grow. Uh, uh. my job is to trust and obey my job is to abide in the vine and he'll grow the fruit in me and through me my responsibility is to stay as close as I can to the vine as I possibly can and when I'm faithful he will make me fruitful the result of spiritual fruitfulness is that God will be glorified and that will grow we'll produce a gospel Inside of our lives that others will be attracted to and they'll come to Christ. A man named George Bernard Shaw, he was a playwright, was nearing the end of his life. And a reporter asked him a question. He says, if you could live your life over and be anybody you've known or any person from history, who would you be? Shaw thought for a moment and he replied, I would choose to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been but never was. Well, I don't want that to be my legacy. Be the man. Be the woman that God created you to be. He has formed you for fruitfulness. So prepare for some precise pruning. Deal with the discipline. Resolutely remain in Christ, and you'll have more fruit than you can handle. It's time to ask Christ to take our lives to use them for his glory because from, apart from him we can do nothing apart from him we can bear no fruit apart from Christ the vine we are nothing we can do nothing and we can produce nothing we are faithful and when we are faithful Christ makes us fruitful thanks for listening for more teachings and videos visit celebrationmen.org